Welcome to the Agency X podcast. I'm your host, John Sertikowski, founder and CEO at Avix. Today, we are joined by Robin Smith. Uh, Robin has over 29 years of experience in supply chain and data integrations. He's also the co-founder and CEO at VL Omni, a serverless microservices iPaaS platform that is both elastic and scalable to meet the demands of scaling e-commerce and multi-channel merchants. This episode is sponsored by Gorgeous. Gorgeous is the number one e-commerce help desk that lets you manage and respond to messages from your site, social, email, and SMS all in one platform. They have built-in automations to handle common queries like order tracking and save your team time and money. Get a free month by clicking the link in the description and elevate your customer experience today. You're listening to the Agency X Podcast. I'm your host, John Sertikowski, founder and CEO at Avix, a New York City-based e-commerce agency for high-growth D2C brands. As always, I'm joined by our e-commerce strategist, David Anzalone. Our goal is to provide some insight into e-commerce, technology, design, and everything in between. Let us know what you think of today's episode and make sure to visit our website, avexdesigns.com. Welcome to the podcast, Robin. How are you? I'm good, John, and thank you for having me. Um, it's uh, it's a long weekend coming up for us here in Canada, so I'm looking forward to starting to chill out, out after this. So uh. <laughs> awesome! Yeah, I actually have. Um, I'm going away next week for the first time in a long time, and it's my son's, my four year old son's first time on an airplane. So it's going to be. Oh, wow. And enjoy. It's either going to be really enjoyable, or it's going to be very stressful, or a mix of both. <laughs> well, I can tell you a story offline about that. About when I left Canada for the first time when I was three years old. <laughs> oh boy, you remember it? I don't remember it, but I remember the stories about it. We were. Um, <laughs> I was three years old. My parents. We were moving to Uganda in East Africa. Oh, wow. And uh, we flew to London, and then we flew from London to Benghazi and down to Entebbe. And it was 36 hours of flying in those days. Okay. With, a, with two babies in cloth diapers. Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> That's all right. Now it makes me feel better. A three-hour flight to Florida isn't going oh, to no, be. You'll, you'll, have no, uh, yeah. you'll have no issue whatsoever. Yeah, you haven't met my son. Um, we'll see. Um, but yeah, um, I know we've been trying to book this for a while, and I'm surprised this is the first one I think we've done together. Um, yep. Yep. And I'm super excited we're able to do it. So let's jump in. I think before we get into some more specific questions, just at a high level, can you tell us a little bit more about what is an integration partner, um, an iPass? Like, just define that a little bit of what your agency does. And, um, you know, what the terms mean. Sure. So the the term iPass gets kicked around a lot. Um, certainly in the Shopify world, it gets kicked around. It was a term that was uh, developed by Gartner about 10 years ago mm -hmm. to describe a certain type of offering uh, when it came to integration. The It, it evolved out of uh, a middleware on-premise solution and basically, it was the migration of a middleware-type solution to the cloud. And it mm. was designed to – the the original iPaaS definition uh, in its purest form was to provide people with a platform where they could build their own integrations. Mm. So if you think of a, a platform like MuleSoft, for example, this was one of the early the early, the, the early iPaaS definitions. Um, that, that term now has been used so widely and so loosely – that it has come to mean many different things. Um, clearly, there's obviously that uh, that component which is original, which is it's a SaaS-based platform that allows you to build your integrations. Um, there are offerings that have morphed out of the EDI world, which are managed iPaaS solutions, mm -hmm. uh, which is what VL Omni is. We are a managed iPaaS. The differentiation there with the original definition is is that the customer doesn't build the integrations or the agency doesn't build the integrations. We build those. Mm. We use our stock connectors and we capture business rules in our business rule engine. And the reason it's a managed service, it's because it's a multi-tenant environment. Mm -hmm. And that's the differentiation between the original Gartner iPaaS definition, which was a single tenant. So Got it. 
Many people have called us. I think you've called us this, John, uh, your integration partner as a service. Yeah. Um, and that speaks actually to where the technology has gone and where the marketplace has gone. Um, as a partner, um, m- many people approach integration from a technical level. You know, I have two APIs. I can make those APIs talk. In the Shopify world, that's fairly straightforward. Well, you start to get out of that Shopify world. APIs have personas. They have personas that are reflective of the people that built them. Um, and they have all their little quirks and, and you know, so on and so forth. Um, not everybody has the rigidity and the, and the regimentation that Shopify has. So a man, a, an iPaaS, an integration partner as a service, bridges both the technical and the business aspects. And the business mm-hmm. aspects are really the thing that differentiates us is that integration as a technical exercise, yeah, it's fairly straightforward generally. Um, but it's how do you incorporate all that business knowledge about how a company operates into the integrations to make them a robust enough to sustain spikes in volume, but also and scalability, but also have the redundancy and the recovery that is actually needed. And you'll see two paths. You'll see people go with uh, with a DIY solution. Either it's built by an agency or it's built by, you know, they've gone out into one of the the, the contractor forums and they found somebody that can you know, build an API solution, um, or they'll use an iPaaS. And it can be a DIY type solution on an iPaaS uh, in the original definition, or it can be somebody like us that, that will navigate, will will help the merchant navigate through all of the business issues. Yeah, and hearing terms like EDI are things that I just don't <laughs> want to discuss. We, we Years ago, we worked, before we were like Shopify Plus exclusive, we worked on like, a um a magento build that had edi and it was like wow it was a a lot going on being able to transfer this data and have something sit in the middle and then translate it and it was just it became not fun so i was like well we're not going to handle anything like that and i and i think there's a couple things to pull out of there like hearing terms like middleware or like integrations or partners or integration partners, things like that. You're right. It gets tossed around similar to like how headless gets tossed around and almost like becomes a buzzword, but it loses its definition. Even D to C got thrown around so much. And then there's like, they're talking about D to C brands and they're not really a D to C brand. It just like loses its meaning. Um, And it's important to kind of make sure that we're all talking about the same thing. Um, A couple of other things you said there, like as far as agencies, just, like us, like we stay away from like building integrations. Like we, that's why we try to loop in partners or we make recommendations. You know, so many times in the past have we heard like an agency built something, but then they can't support it. Yeah. Right. So they built something and they can't support it. And that's where I think iPass comes in, or I love the term partner as a service because to your point, it's not just doing the integration, it's seeing how that integration fits into their business model, their business plan, how it impacts their business, what's the risk, what's the the, uh, the return on investment, all of those things is what a partner does. Um, so what, when a merchant is considering integrations, integration plan or a partner, um, is there any sort of like consultation process do you do any kind of discovery can you tell me a little bit about what like how how are you supporting merchants and making those recommendations and figuring out if you're the best fit for them and vice versa like what's your process as far as that discovery or consultation sure and you know and that's a really good point i mean uh, you know when you talk about edi yeah that's where we come from um and edi is its own special world um, it's still out there. It's not dying, but it's mm. it's it's in terms of retail, it's shifted. Um, <clears throat> one of the benefits of having come out of EDI is that EDI the in EDI the the business logic is encapsulated in the EDI transaction. So, you know, I know I've I've got all the parameters around SKUs and how I use them and ship dates and so on and so forth. It's all encapsulated in the EDI message. When we get to to APIs, it's a little bit different because the the freeform nature of 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 XML and of JSON means that I'm really just dealing with data. 
Mm -hmm. I'm not dealing with any business logic per se that is encapsulated in the message. Now, one would argue that in some XML, yes, you do have business logic. And, you know, I'm the first one to say, yeah, that's true. But not XML is cut from the same cloth. So this is where this consultation layer comes into. And, and it's to understand how a customer wants to use the data. And that can be bi-directional. It can be, I've got data in my ERP that I want to use on the front end, and I've got data uh, in my front end that I want to use on the ERP. And what we're seeing now in, in the Shopify world and in the world of e-commerce generally is a combination of, of, of what I would term a hybrid model. In the old days, it was the ERP fed, the e-com, and that was the end of it. Now what you're seeing is companies and merchants building stuff into uh, into the ERP from a financial perspective, but because of the richness of the front-end platforms are doing things on the front-end. Um, order cancellation is a really good example of that, where people are canceling their orders in their, in their not in their ERP, but on their front-end, mm -hmm. and they want that to feed back. So our, our, our process of discovery and consultation is to look at a merchant and look at how they're operating so that um, it's to understand, okay, what is the direction that they do things in? Because that's going to affect the way that you do the integration. Um, and then we do a deep dive into the uh, applications and the interfaces. Uh, we had one recently where um, a customer wanted to integrate with uh, Microsoft AX 2009. Well, that particular version of AX didn't have a, didn't have web services. It's flat file, and but yet they've got this really rich data movement that they want to achieve. They're going to migrate to Business Central at some point in the next year and a half, and part of it is to determine what can they do currently with their AX, and then what's the path towards the migration that they can build that they can start to think about. And that's where we come in. We do that discovery. We have the conversations. Uh, we'll tell people what we can and cannot do. Uh, sometimes people don't want to hear that. Uh, they think we're we're lying to them. Uh, well, what do you mean you can't do it? It's just data. You know, I had one guy that said, said it's apple to apple. You know, you just go like this and it talks. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> so, so, so that's the process. Um, we're not a plug and play solution. And I think that um, th there's been a lot of, 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 of merchants in the Shopify world that look for that quick fix, plug and play, very cheap, inexpensive. People need to know that that kind of model, it's great. It works beautifully, but it's built around the lowest common denominator. Mm -hmm. And that lowest common denominator may not be a fit for what you want to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so, uh, so this is where trying to pull out, tease out the processes that people want to do. How do they do, how do they run their business? And it comes back to this layering of the business logic on top of the integration to understand how the business operates. Yeah, there's some, some great points there. And, and a couple of things that really stood out to me is, and what I think is very important to businesses and things that we do as well, is one, practicing that, radical transparency. You're not going to be the partner that says, yeah, we can do it. We can do it just to get a sale or just to, you know, kind of fake it till you make it with it when it comes yeah, to something yeah, no, like that. That's, that's, a, that's a really, a really good point because some people with that transparency get scared off and they don't believe that you're being truthful to them. They think you're lying to them. Yeah, you know, and on the agency side for us, you know, we do the same thing. There's certain things that we're just like, not only like we, if it, whether it's a timeline or within a certain budget or a certain type of functionality, yeah. you yeah. know, we'll say, well, look, I know you may not want to hear this, but this is the way it is. You know, this is why we do what we do. And we're not going to take this on knowing, you know, we can't deliver on X, Y, and Z, or you have to do it a certain way, present the options to them. You know, what I've seen is that there are some merchants who, might may, may, might be unhappy with that, but they do appreciate the transparency. And those are the ones that we want to work with. The exactly. ones that look to you as a true partner, the ones that are looking to you to be like, well, look, they're going to tell me those hard truths and then figure out a way forward um, and an alternative solution. Yeah, um, and, and also like what you said about the plug and play um, 
And I think it's just that a lot of, especially maybe some smaller merchants or a lot of the D2C brands that are starting to maybe step up, they are a bit spoiled when it comes to the ecosystem of being able to like, well, I want reviews, app. I want email, app. I want this functionality, app. It's all that one click install and then there's maybe some customizations. But when they start to get more advanced, whether it's with an ERP or CRM or having things be bi-directional or they have different warehouses and orders have to sync and it has to be, you know, everything has to play well together. Well, you know, it's not going to be a one click solution for that. And the ones that are doing those things, like you said, it's more of just like, you know, an MVP, right? It's just like the baseline and it's not going to work for every merchant, especially as you start to become more sophisticated with your Correct. business, yeah. you're going to need that true partner to be able to help with those things. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, you can, you can probably draw a line down the Shopify plus world, almost 50, 50 between those that are in the model that you described. Um, you know, it's like <clears throat> Shopify plus QuickBooks and an OMS it's all click, 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 click. And, you know, and there's some massive brands doing that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Then yeah. you've got the other side of it where you've got application complexity. They've got an ERP. They've got a sophisticated supply chain, distribution networks, so on and so forth. Uh, that's more the customer that we uh, tier towards because they're the ones that recognize what we do and what we bring to the table is relevant to them and it can help them scale. Yeah, exactly. That's in, that's important. And plus, I mean, those larger merchants with more of the complexities, they have, you know, they've obviously grown to a point where they could afford those services too. You know, I think it's worth mentioning True. that like, yeah. you know, with the, the larger, the, whether it's integrations or design and development or things like that, the reason why you might be charging a more of a premium price is that you're providing a premium service. You're providing more resources, you're lowering risk, you're you're increasing the chance of a return on investment. All of those things are going to cost more, you know, it's going to have a higher budget. So, you know, therefore it's a kind of relative, you know, the more sophisticated your business, likely you're doing more in revenue and you can afford such services or for even in a better way, you should you're probably you can't afford not to use those services because you're increasing your risk by not doing that. I guess well, that yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're you're absolutely right. And then you've got that double-edged sword with those kind of companies where there's a, a large IT department that mm-hmm. figures that they've got the expertise because they looked at it at a technical level to do it. Uh, I mean, I've seen situations where IT departments have a stranglehold on anything IT that is done within an organization, and it's gone a year and a half, and the stuff is still not integrated. Yeah. Or what they build is something a little bit half-assed, and, and you know they get that Black Friday, Cyber Monday spike, and the whole thing falls apart. Yeah, yeah we've experienced that. We've oh, sure. definitely experienced that with you know scoping things out, and you know we've we've had. Merchants recently who are like, you know, we've advised on who to use, whether it's VL Omni or what to do, the approach to it. And, you know, we've had in, in a, a couple situations like, well, our team team is just going to build an API for it. Yeah. And it's like, okay, all right, that's, that's, you know, it's not comforting if the project is relies on that because now we're not relying on experts who have done this before to be able to move the project along to hit a launch to be able to make all these things work so you know it's i think i I would imagine like a big part of your of even attracting new customers for you is going to be education i'm assuming that a lot of the content that you have to put out there is you know has to educate customers on on what you do and why it's important yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, we've we've always been an education forward company, and if you look at our site vlomni.com, I mean, you'll see we have oodles and oodles of resources, probably too much. But what we find is that there is this disconnect in the in the market between what people think they should do and what they actually end up doing, and. Mm-hmm. You know, I will give you an example. We've got a company, uh, a, a small, very niche ski manufacturer in Vermont. And he decided that on Black Friday, Cyber Monday to do one of those old fashioned 
television type sales, you know, you know, you know, like a door crasher thing. Okay. And off his Shopify site. And I mean, it was like gangbusters. It was this <laughs> phenomenal. He got 200 orders in the first, first four seconds. Oh my God. And, um, and sold out this door crasher within, for, within the four seconds. If we, if we didn't have the infrastructure to be able to handle that volume, he would have right out of the gate had a complete disaster on his hands. And this is the kind of story that I tell, I tell the people in the sales cycle. And it's almost like they don't believe you mm. that, that, oh, well, yeah, but you know, like we can build the systems. Well, okay. So you miss all the web hooks or how are you going to go back and replay them? How are you going to, how are you going to, how are you going to go back and make sure that you got every single order that was transmitted to you because the volumes were so high? Yeah. So, yeah. That's a, that, that's a tough, I would almost for, I don't know if you have these, but like case studies are great to show the success. Yeah. I would almost try to gather the ones that didn't use you guys and didn't take a, an integration approach. You'd be like, well, those case studies are great, but here's the failures. Here's the brands that maybe didn't use it and things fell apart. I think that that's a good case study, especially with those big drops, like those brands that do like large drops and they have like millions of people coming to the site at once and things crash, they can't fulfill orders. Um, having like some stories about those could be, you know, kind of a wake up call for a lot of, uh, a lot of merchants. Yeah. The, the only danger there is that somebody turns around and sues you. That is true. Yeah. I forgot about that one. <laughs> I'm not interested in being sued. Thank you very much. I have, I have a hard enough time sleeping at night right now because of the turmoil going around. <laughs> I don't just I hear don't need another layer on top. <laughs> I hear you. So, are there any other benefits, you know, things that, you know, merchants should know about managed integration services? I think, I think the other element that people don't realize when they look at integration and they, 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 they tend to look at it as a snapshot in time. Well, businesses evolve, businesses change, businesses want to do things differently. Um, and if you don't have the flexibility to change your integrations because you know, let's say you're doing, you're launching new processes and you want to, you know, um, one of the ones that we're seeing right now a lot of is um, in terms of returns, uh, getting a return receipt back and then creating an exchange order. Well, if, if, you, if your integration wasn't built originally around an integration uh, uh, um, on the basis of the potential of an exchange order, you're now having to go back and you're going to have to retrofit that kind of thing. Um, so it, there's things like that. The other thing that people don't pay attention to is deprecation of APIs or modifications. Amazon right now is going through a whole uh, change in their authentication and, and uh, security layer that um, has taken our team uh, probably a good month to get our heads around how we're going to handle it and coding for it. So, and Amazon has laid out very strict timelines of when they're going to do this. So yeah, if you're doing stuff yourself, do you have the bandwidth to, and, and what's the, what's the risk to the business? Um, and, and I, and I think that's where people don't, when they're looking at managed solutions over and the cost of them over doing it yourself and trying to build it yourself, I don't think people do a risk assessment in a lot of cases. I think yeah. they, I think the risk, I think the risk assessment goes by the wayside because, oh, the IT guys can do it, or I'll just get my agency to do it. Yeah, and and, um, and, and it, it, I would imagine it also, it also, there's a difference depending on who on the merchant side you're speaking with because, like, when we're having a conversation with like an e-commerce manager or head of e-commerce or something when it. They're mostly con concerned with conversions and marketing and things like that. So for us, it's easy to be like, well, look, these last 10 websites, they saw, you know, a 50% increase in conversions on average. Like they could directly relate that to a return on investment, right? Exactly. They could directly say, well, look, this agency is really great with conversions and user experience. That's where we're going to make some money. What's I, I think difficult to wrap, uh, what merchants have wrapping their head around is like, well, with you guys, it's limiting that risk. So having the right merchant to be like, well, it's going to make things easier for us. It's going to save us money and it's going to limit risk. 
but it's harder to for them to put a dollar amount on and be like, well, how much money am I getting back? Right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, how do you navigate that? That's that's probably the toughest thing that we've that we've had to deal with. I mean, it's no different than EDI. Um, it, when you talk in, in integration, so it's something that uh, I mean, I'm well versed in. So. Um, you have to look at you have to look at the 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 ROI around it from um, first and foremost from a data integrity perspective. So when you start into integration, um, there's a threshold at which uh, it becomes cost effective to do integration, and that is a basket size under a hundred dollars or twenty five orders a day. If your basket size is under a hundred bucks, typically the order fulfillment and invoice cycle costs you more than the value of that basket. Wow. And that's research that's been done by universities for grocery chains for, you know, this stuff is well researched. So I'm, I'm not pulling numbers out, out, out of the air. The threshold on order number at about 2025 is at the point at which people start to make mistakes in data entry. Mm. And again, that's been documented. That's been shown very, very well that people start to transcribe orders. And obviously... The number of orders, the number of lines on those orders, you know, the value of those orders. You know, like if I'm selling a hundred thousand dollar Rolex watch, and I'm getting two orders a month, uh, two orders a day, which would be amazing. Um, then, yeah, I can probably handle them manually. I'm not going to have any problems. I mean, yeah. we talked to we talked to a Leica uh, uh, um, a, a agency in the southern U.S. and for them. It really was a cost-benefit analysis between the size of the order and did they need the care around the order to make sure that it was vetted a number of times. And at the end of the day, it didn't make sense for them to integrate. Mm -hmm. If you've got high-velocity orders that are small, then integration absolutely has a serious, serious ROI. Then you get into things like the downstream impact. I mean, one of the things we see on Shopify sites a lot is incomplete zip codes, um, transcribed address information. Well, I mean, if you think of that in an integrated fashion, I can bring that into to my order management or my ERP, and I've got the ability now to vet it before I push it over to shipping. If I push that straight to shipping with a plug-and-play solution, and I'm letting the courier collect correct, sorry, correct that information, I'm paying a charge to that courier to fix that information. FedEx on average charges 25 bucks an address to correct. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> it's all of these little things that are, that are on the surface seem inconspicuous and they don't seem like they're related, but they're all the pieces that fit into the ROI. And yeah. I think that the the ultimate is what happens to an integration that fails like what's the downstream effect on the business if something that's been um, half-baked so to speak breaks and you now have a customer service issue what's the cost around that what's yeah. the roi what's the ro what's the roi around having robust enough systems to handle the data flow, the volume. Um, we spoke late last year with a kitchen supply company in Chile who were uh, using a plug and play solution and they were maxing out the volume whenever they did a sale. They did sales four times a year. They're maxing out the volume that that solution could handle because of internal architectural limitations, mm. which meant they were losing orders. They yep. were not getting- They were leaving money on the table. They're, they're, yeah, well, the orders were being placed. Mm -hmm. they, the volume was so great that they didn't have the mechanisms to, to, to fully go back and check whether they got all the orders. Yeah. 
they were fulfilling what was getting into the ERP. There was no indication. It, it, you know, it was like a silent error. There was no indication that this order wasn't coming through. But they had no reconciliation yeah. method. And as a result, they were getting customer service issues. Orders, uh, the credit card pre-authorizations were expiring. Um, so, yeah, technically, at the end of the day, they were leaving money on the table. And they were yeah. looking to scale and expand. So they were they were in this desperate situation that, that um, fortunately, we, we didn't have integration to their ERP. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a tough one, too, especially when there's, like, proprietary ERPs or there's, like, um, older older ERPs. We had a... Yeah. One of our clients was using an, um, an ERP that is, I forgot the name of it, oh, I think it's Ohm or something like that. And no one heard of it. It was like specific to their industry. The website looked like it was built in 1997 and it didn't have an API. It had nothing, but they had to use it because it was used across all of their properties and it was very specific to their industry. To their vertical, and, yeah. yeah, to their vertical. Um, and, you know, both online and in store, they were using it. So it was like, well, they can't migrate away from it. Um, so there, ha- I think they had to build some sort of something custom internally. Um, we didn't get as much involved in it, uh, nor did we want to be. No, I'm sure. But yeah, I could see, like, is there a certain size business? Like, I know that there's indicators, like you said, like as far as like cart size or order volume, is there an indicator that merchants could look, because a lot of merchants might not know that they need an integration plan, or they might not even know what an iPass is. And, you know, I know that we, we spoke about what it is, but is there any indicator that a merchant should be exploring it? Like, what can we tell merchants to be able to say, hey, look, if this, this is the right time to be able to start exploring an integration yeah, um, yeah. process? Yeah, no, that's that's a really good question. There is. Um, I would start to look at application complexity. Um, how many how many applications do you have in your tech stack? Mm-hmm. That's that's the first one. The second one is, um, if you're using the plug and play integrations, are you moving the same data multiple times between applications, and then are those applications in sync? Mm-hmm. You know, like I've seen so many situations where. You know, they're moving the order to the shipping and then they're moving the order to the order management and they're moving the order to the because they've got three different plugins doing the same thing. Yeah. Um, and they're not in sync at the right time. Yeah. And, and so it's so, you know, for us, we look at application complexity. We look at uh, disconnected integrations. And then usually when you get into that kind of environment, it, you've got to look at the tech stack, you got to stand back and look at the tech stack holistically because, and, and ask the really hard question is, can you scale with that tech stack? And most of them can't. Like I had, I had, I had one last year that was very well known cosmetic brand came to us. They were referred by the agency that built the website and they said, they had said to the, to the merchant, cause they posed the question about EDI. And uh, the agency reached out and said, hey, can you have a conversation with these guys about EDI? Just, just, just situate it for them. And I said, yeah, sure. And, you know, he said there may be an opportunity, there may not be an opportunity. And I said, yeah, no, that's cool. So we had the conversation and it became really evident in, in the conversation that they didn't have the tech stack to handle to handle the EDI requirements, the pick and pack, the compliance requirements, but yet they were being hounded by the, the majors. And in this case, it was Macy's and Neiman Marcus, yeah. you know, like high end stuff. And they didn't have anything in their tech stack to be able to handle that kind of compliance. And I said to them, I said, you guys have got to ask yourself a fundamental question. Is that on sector of the market you want to get into? Because if it is, your current tech, tech stack is not configured or set up for this, and you're going to have to look at replacing that and changing your whole business process. And so sometimes you have that kind of stuff. Uh, sometimes you have um, you have um, you have uh, 
you have situations where um, the tools that they've selected limit their ability to scale also. Um, mm. We see this on the order management side a lot, where the yeah. order management systems are really good for simplistic stuff, uh, but now they're wanting to now they're wanting to do dropship and they can't do dropship through the, or, or, uh, through that kind of thing. The other thing we're seeing a lot of right now, and this is a really I don't I don't get this one. People are looking to try and turn Shopify into an ERP and. They're selling to Walmart Marketplace, and they're selling to, yeah. and now Walmart wants them in the retail stores, and they got to do EDI through Retail Link, and it's like, uh, no, you can't do that. You can't invoice out of Shopify. Yeah, <laughs> you know, no, so. no, no. Yeah, so I, I do think that that's important for them to consider, like where, and I think my takeaway from that is like, like as a merchant, you need to, it's important to consider where you're going as a brand. Like yes, where absolutely. are you going? Like, what are you going to get into? And then figure out what your you know future state is and where you need to be. And then work with the professionals who have done this before and who have experience with it to be able to understand, well, what's the technology that's going to be able to support it? Because they do the same thing when you're talking about like developing a brand voice or a tone of voice, where you want to be creatively as a brand or where the product line is. You Absolutely. have to plan for those things and hire the right people and work with the right people to execute on that. Same thing goes with the technology. If you want to get to a certain point and you want to get there faster and more effectively and see your return on investment, you need to be able to work with the people that know that specific area. Um, well, and, and, and uh, in both situations and both scenarios, to work with people that are going to lay out what the requirements are and what's the investment required. Yeah. Because a lot of people, they, they get this contract from Walmart dangled in front of them. Yeah. And it looks cool. It looks, wow, this is amazing. I'm going to make tons of money. But yet they don't, they don't realize that there's a compliance envelope yeah. around it. And that compliance envelope is going to eat into your margins. So, mm -hmm. you know, are you willing to spend? But to me, it's no different than, than looking at your brand and the positioning and what you spend on how you build out your brand. And what does that brand represent in the marketplace? Mm-hmm. And, you know, that goes for your website. It goes to where your products are selling, what channels you're selling your products through. Yeah. And, this is, uh, what's that total cost of ownership? That's super important. Yeah. Uh, and that, not every channel is good for every product either. No, 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 no. That makes sense. Um, last question I have, and I know because it's been a hot topic for the past couple of years now, and we talk about it a lot too, uh, is headless commerce. Like, is the introduction of headless commerce or the popularity around it has does that impact integrations in any way? Um, if someone's on Shopify and they're used to using you know plug and play and installing apps, headless is different. You don't have that as much. Everything is integrated with an API. You know now that we're talking a lot more about like mock and composable commerce and things like that. Has does that change your integration plan? Does that change VL Omni's approach? Is it different or is it just an API as an API? Um, you know, that's a really good question because I think there's a, there's a lot of hype around headless. Headless isn't for everybody, as you well know. Um, I mean, I often say that it's for the 1% because, you know, you need deep, deep pockets for it. Um, four years ago, I wrote a, a couple of blog articles on architecting integration for headless. And I think they're still relevant today. To me, there's two sides to it. One is the 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 um, the interact the API interaction between the front end, the visual layer, and how that visual layer is 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 receiving and pulling data and where it pulls from. And in many many cases, um, whether you're using something like Sanity or Contentful or whatever, um, there's there's really robust APIs for that. And often it makes more sense for those kind of things to integrate with the monolithic stack that sits underneath. Mm. I mean, there's usually a monolithic stack in most headless environments that we've seen. So our interaction is not with the APIs on the front end, but rather the APIs on the back end. So we will, if, if for example, uh, somebody's using Sanity with Shopify, we don't integrate to Sanity unless there's a need to push the data into Sanity from someplace else. Mm -hmm. We'll just integrate to Shopify on the back end and let Sanity deal with the APIs that are well-developed and well-layered 
and have the t- the proper timing built into it because timing in headless is really really important. Mm-hmm. Um, so f- for us, headless is. I mean, we got lots of customers that do headless, and you wouldn't even know it you know, yeah. from internally to us. I mean, yeah, it, it's yeah because the the data layer the uh, outside of the content was your content and like you know that that's living on your headless CMS, like Contentful, that's Xanity, right. that's right. or whatever. But the product data is still coming from the same place, whether you're Shopify headless or you're just regular Shopify Plus yeah. or something. Because yeah. the, the products are still feeding into Shopify. The orders, the cancellations, all of that is going through their order management system. Yeah. Um, and if you are using an ERP or anything like that, it has really nothing to do with the content management system, yeah. really. Um, unless, like you said, you're pushing some data product information that might have to go through the headless CMS to get enriched or like um, added, and then it gets passed through to the front end. But yeah. that's, you know, that would be a unique kind of rare. Well, situation. actually, we've seen it in situations where people don't have a PIM. Okay, yeah. And and so they're getting their, their CMS data from the PIM um, where the rudimentary data is um, is being pushed from the ERP up to the CMS mm. and everything is being done. Like I've seen it in Umbraco situations where they're doing all their all their all their pimification of, of the data, if you want, <laughs> in Umbraco. And okay. that's that is the CMS. Okay. Yeah. It's different new world with a lot of this which is oh yeah no for sure i i I think the key though is to from an integration perspective is to really map out the integrations Mm -hmm. you know like what's the architecture of the headless model like what's Mm -hmm. the car what's the cart because it's the cart that controls everything Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. and and how do you how do you interact with that cart uh, yeah no that's i mean i think that's to me like you know figuring out what the architecture is of everything, right? When it comes to design, doing a content model, when it comes to user experience, the user journey, the tech stack that you're using, the post-purchase experience, and then what's that What's that integration layer? Like what, what's the plan there? So all of these things have to kind of work, you know, especially as the business becomes more and more sophisticated. Um, and, and we've had those conversations with a lot of merchants too. It's like, maybe there's pushback on integrations or there's pushback on more complexity or timelines or budgets or whatever it is. This is back to radical transparency. Sometimes we've had to say, look, your, your business is far more sophisticated than it was a year or two ago. Oh, no question. You know, and you've scaled and you 10 X your business. You need to be able to also 10 X your tech stack and your integrations and kind of, you know, for lack of a better term, you know, grow up and put your big bear, big boy pants on because, you know, you want to get to this level you know, you need to be able to plan for it. So, you know, it's interesting you say that because I find that um, people tend to pay lip service to the e-commerce channel and they, you know, they don't realize that it's a reflection of their brand Mm -hmm. and the amount that they spend on on getting it right is going to now reflect on the brand. So if if the experience is kind of shitty, that's a reflection on the brand. you know, what I say to people is if they have a bricks and mortar store, how much does it cost to set up a bricks and mortar store? Think of the, think of the, okay, I've got, I, I've got a lease. I've got all the in-store fixtures. I've got to stock that store with product. I've got a insurance. insurance. I've got to have the, the employees. Why do you want to spend 50,000 bucks on your website? Because basically your website is just another physical location. Yeah, that's a great point. It's a great point. I'm going to use that next so time. So <laughs> why would you not want to spend the same amount of money? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's the same. Especially like when you think about it, you know, we have merchants who have stores in Soho in, in the city. You yeah. know how much leases there? You know, you're talking about. <laughs> Keep going up. Six figures a month in some places, you yeah. know, like, and then you're like you're looking at your e-commerce website. It's like, oh, you're trying to save and you're trying to save, you know, spend thirty thousand or fifty thousand, or like you're, you know, you don't want to spend the extra ten or twenty k on a discovery. And I understand, you know, merchants have budgets; they have to work those in. But to your point, 
far more people are seeing your e-commerce store. And especially if it's a global brand, it's a brand that might be selling internationally. You know, there's, it's, it's, you can't even compare the two. But I think it's like the older mindset of like, well, people are going to see it. It needs to have the perfect this, the perfect that, you know, it's in, but you know, stores yeah, but that logic doesn't, but that logic doesn't follow through when people are going to see your website too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's, yeah, exactly. I've often used that and I've said to people, you know, think of it that way because it's a reflection of who you are as a company. And mm-hmm. if you're not doing it right, you know, the other thing people don't do, and this is where integration really shows up, how the, the pitfalls around it is people don't shop on their own websites. Yeah, that's true. And companies do not get their employees to go and shop and, and purchase product for their and see what that customer experience actually is. Yeah. And yeah. and where the breaks are. Years ago we did an ebook. I had uh, I had everybody in the office do an exercise where I had them go on different brands and shop online. And we took we took the Christmas purchase that they had done and we pulled out the ones where People had problems. So we had Walmart, Toys R Us. We had, back in the day, Corksicle before they moved to Shopify. There mm-hmm. was another one. Uh, there were two other brands. There was the Aaron Sweater Factory in Ireland who were on a home-built site. And we actually documented on each one of the sites where there was a breakdown and where there was an introduction of a manual process. Mm. And it was because it was so obvious where data is being transcribed or the, 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 you know, the, the address details are wrong or, you know, the fulfillment didn't, didn't, uh, somebody had manually entered the address into the shipping software and there was a mistake. And, um, it was quite interesting. We reached out to some of the brands. Some of them were furious at us. <laughs> um, uh, Did you, were, were these clients of yours or they no, were not, no, they're they not clients and you pub, published this like report? Yeah. yeah. I'm doing that. And I'm, I'm doing that. <laughs> I will send you a copy of it because it's an interesting, to like it's it, totally yeah. dated now because it's, yeah. it's you know, but, but it was an interesting exercise. And it, but it was so obvious to see where there was the breakdown in the integration and how it impacted the customer experience. Mm, that's it, interesting. People and don't I, think of it that way, and 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 that's why I say I, I always say to people go and shop on your own website. Yeah, see what happens? I, I think we have to do that too as an agency. Like I'm that that's a good idea. This this holiday shopping season, I'm gonna fund all my employees, give them X amount, and be like, hey, everyone's gonna shop on one of our clients' websites. And then you have to write a little review on it. You can keep the product. It'll be a little gift. But, you know, write an experience about was it a good experience, bad experience, customer, and then report it back to our clients and be like, look, we, we went the extra mile and actually went through the customer journey and do a little report on it. And yeah. I mean, some clients that we don't have. I think that's a great idea. You know, to me, it, it, it just shows you the, you know, to come back to your your point about budgets and they don't want to spend money for, to do this and do that, but it's the kind of things that you can highlight quite quickly mm-hmm. and put in somebody's face and say, you know, this is a reflection now of your brand yeah. because you're not doing this properly or there's some disconnect here in your back, back end operations. Yeah. Um, like just imagine like, you know, if we had a recent client that we're, we're pitching to do a, a migration right now and, you know, one of their complaints, they're on Magento. One of their complaints is that their customers often often complain that the checkout is broken. And like, if you go into a store, a physical location, and the cashier's not there multiple times a day, like what you're happened? gonna you're gonna fire that cashier, or you're gonna someone's gonna get sent to the store immediately and be able to fix that problem because you're gonna keep losing customers. But like, they've been dealing with it for months on their store. And it's, you know, not being fixed right away. So like there's those things like people are just more like, ah, you know, we'll, we'll fix it. Orders are still coming in. But if that was happening in a physical location, there's far less, you know, patience, you know, that's going to you wouldn't even imagine that happening in a physical location, no. you know, like so having the right tech to support it, having the right plan in place, um, you know, it's going to save you a lot of money and also, you know, help them scale. Oh yeah, no, for sure. And I think I think that, that, that this is where there's 
this disconnect. Often it's it's the you know it's it's the money keepers that want to keep the prices low, low, low as mm-hmm. much as possible, but they don't do the risk assessment around the kind of things that you just no. talked about. Like having a broken checkout to me is inexcusable. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, that's I just, know. Or, in, this, in the 21st century, in this day and age, to have yeah. a broken checkout. Broken checkout. Or insanely slow website. That's just like, you know, there's, you know, maybe it's not as fast as headless, but, you know, um, having a slow website too. Like I, I keep just thinking about to your comparison to a store. Like imagine you go into a store you know, and everything is just in slow motion or the cashier is walking in slow motion or the salesperson isn't helping you check out or even being on a long line in a store, it's similar, right? You're on a long line and you're waiting, people getting frustrated, walk off the line, you have a bad experience, you might not shop at the store again, you know, have to relate that to e-commerce too. And that's why page speed is important. And all of it comes to the underlying technology. Um, you know, a lot of that comes to down to, you know, how you're coding the site, what the integrations are like, um, what apps you're using, you know, all of those things come into play. Totally. Um, totally. Having now, that plan makes sense. The other thing that we see, and this is the flip side to that, is velocity. You have the other side of the equation, which is people who want to have uber fast velocity on things. Mm. So you see a lot of the, the 3PL providers doing this where they'll get the order in via webhook and they've automatically created the tracking even though they haven't done the pick and pack yet. Mm. Post the tracking back to the site because the yeah. merchant wants to show the customer how fast they're processing the orders. And okay, now you've got a, well, we don't have the product in stock. It's a back order. Yeah, tracking. Uh, it's <laughs> tracking number that goes nowhere. That says a, a label wasn't, you know, maybe a label was created, but it's not printed out yet and put on a box. <laughs> no, and the courier hasn't even picked it up yet. Yeah. So no, there's, no, the there's no real tracking information. All you've done is generated a bill of lading. Yeah. And there are there are merchants and 3PLs that push this as a as as a heightened level of customer service without looking at the downstream risks of, okay, is it a fraudulent order? Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Maybe I've got my, my fraud levels in Shopify turned down really low. Um, and I'm not using one of the third party fraud tools Yeah. and, uh, or, and maybe I'm, maybe I just got a big Amazon order in and I just moved a pile of stock from mm-hmm. my e-com location because I need it for Amazon and now I can't ship. But you got all this downstream impact that goes on and then somebody now has to go in and manually do cancel that order and they've got to, you know, they've they got to deal with an angry customer who, hey, well, I place this order. Where's my product? Yeah, I got my tracking. I yeah. thought it was shipped. Well, yeah, you're trying well, to, you know, I think that... then you've got the potential situation, which, which is interesting. I've seen this now on the uh, Shopify plus Facebook chat room a couple of times where um, the the merchant generates the tracking, posts it back to the customer saying, hey, here's your tracking. Um, they cancel the order, but the customer doesn't know the cancels. The order has been canceled. Customer doesn't get their shipment. They go and file a complaint with the credit card. And they get paid. And then they get a chargeback. And then there's right. a whole chargeback scenario. Friendly fraud, it's called. I actually... We've been working a lot with Signified on their like, um, you know, fraud protection and all that. And I was talking to, I hosted a panel in the New York City conference last week and they had someone from Overstock on it. And he was talking about friendly fraud, very similar situations yeah. where it's like, maybe the customer doesn't mean to try to steal from you, but like they do it anyway, or like they claim they didn't get an order or was delivered to the wrong address or whatever it is. And or there's a chargeback because they didn't know the order was canceled. Meanwhile, they weren't really charged and they are trying to get a refund for something that, you know, so like there's these, and for large companies, that fraud aspect of even friendly fraud, not like someone using like a fake credit card or something or situations like you just explained for large, very large companies, enterprise companies, it's millions of dollars. Oh yeah, it's huge dollars, huge dollars. Millions and millions of dollars that they could be losing every year for some for something like that, and I think in that situation, like they were trying to like fake a good customer experience, and probably nine times out of ten, um, it's 
probably making the customer happy. Oh, look, my order is getting sent right away, right? But you need to follow up on those expectations because even if you send them a tracking number, what's annoying is that what if three days later, it still hasn't shipped yet and they're like, wait a minute, why am I not getting an update on this? So I think that could actually have an adverse effect, you know, when you're trying to um, force a good customer experience that might not really be there. Well, I completely agree. I mean, I've, I personally have had experiences where I've ordered something and it's taken three days for the courier because of the bulkiness of the mm -hmm. product where the courier has actually picked it up and doesn't generate any data associated with that tracking. And I'm looking and looking, okay, what's going on? What's going on? I think it's much better to generate the tracking when the order is actually picked up. Yeah. That's something meaningful to show the customer. As opposed if, to if that was the case with all the appliances that had to order, because we, we, we I moved into a new home last late last year. Yeah. And oh, man, I'll call them out. Home Depot, Best Buy, all of them. We ordered stuff and we would get tracking numbers. It'd be like, oh, it's shipping soon, shipping soon. And then it was supposed to come in four weeks. It was supposed to ship. Five weeks came, six weeks. Oh, one time they told us yeah well it's not shipping until october of next year we would have had to wait a year for it oh supply chain has been wrecked for appliances totally, but they totally. didn't update anything so like instead of saying we don't know when this is going to ship you could order it but we don't know when it's going out they would just tell you it's shipping in four weeks and you'd get a tracking number and it would not exist it wasn't even in the country it wasn't even the product might have not even been made yet so like yeah there's been some challenging things with supply chains and delays and like i think a lot of the big the big box stores didn't like update their like customer experience or like try to do something they just want to take in as many orders as they can and hope people don't cancel them yeah yeah well, and then you have then you have examples like I, I ordered some. Uh, I had gone into the sunglass hut to get some new sunglasses because I broke my old pair, um, and uh, uh, they didn't have the one I wanted in stock. It was a Ray Ban, and okay, no problem. We'll, we'll ship it to you. So Luxottica, Luxottica owns Sunglass Hut, and they're, mm -hmm. they've got a monopoly on on that space. The order was shipped out of a warehouse in Atlanta to Toronto because they don't have any warehouses in Canada yeah. and the tracking information I got the woman the woman at Sunglass Hut says oh we ship everything DHL okay perfect that's great it'll come right to your door you'll get it on Tuesday I, this was on a Sunday so I get the tracking information Sunday evening and it's from Luxottica and it's all you know, it says your 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 shipments coming by UPS it's coming by, uh, and here's your tracking number. And I'm looking at this tracking number, and it's, it's not a UPS tracking number. It's a DHL tracking number. Yeah. So here's an example of somebody that's probably changed courier but never updated the website and the web page processing. <laughs> Man, <laughs> yeah. It's those little things. And you know what? The average customer doesn't notice as much as you and I, I know, especially right. being in the industry, because like someone's like it. That's definitely like someone who's in e-commerce who like recognizes a UPS tracking number. <laughs> like you know, they're not regular, but it is. You're right. That's a bad customer experience too, especially if it's like, well, DHL is pulling up and not UPS, but they said UPS, but. We always catch those little things. We catch a lot more than the average. No, it's so true. It's so true. I, be, I, be, I sort of become the e-commerce nerd. <laughs> yeah. My family has no idea what I do for a living. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Robin. This is this has been great. I think we covered a lot. Um, looking forward to having you on the, on, the, on the podcast again in the future. Um, tell people how they could get in touch with you, find you online, and find VL Omni. Perfect. Well, thanks very much for having me, John. It's been a great conversation. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, and yeah, we, you know, we should do this again. Um, hopefully, when I'm in New York next time. Um, for sure. How to reach? How to, how to reach us? Uh, our website is uh, vlomni.com. www.vlomni.com. Uh, we have a YouTube channel with lots of videos. Uh, we've got tons of content on our website. Um, and uh, we are Shopify Plus partners, so we're also in the Shopify Plus. Uh, we're actually listed on the Shopify Plus uh, partner um, portal. You know where all the agencies get get their mm -hmm. 
postings, uh, we are up there as well. So that's another way to get at us. Um, and um, can reach out to John at AVEX and he can pass he can pass us uh, the intro also. So of course, anytime. And vice versa. <laughs> anybody that wants a good agency. <laughs> yeah, we're good enough. Um, for sure. Thanks so much, Robin. Really appreciate it. And um, thank you. Thank you.